Hello, hello, hello. You are listening to The Slided Podcast, and today I'm interviewing Eric Tate. And I met Eric um, about a year and a half ago at the last Magic Live, and it was such a great time. Like, I had such a great time, and I love meeting new people. And Eric is such an incredible person and just really kind, easy to talk to. However, one of the first things he said was, oh, I love your podcast. I'm so excited to meet you and talk to you about your podcast you're doing. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is super intimidating. It shouldn't be intimidating, but it is because honestly, even though I'm putting this out there and I clearly would like people to listen, meeting someone who actually listens totally freaks me out. Um, and just, I, I don't know. I, so it was, it was so funny because it was just such a kind, like the best compliment I could receive was from him about enjoying my podcast. And yet I was also immediately like freaked out and insecure. And so, um, but yeah, it was just great getting to know Eric and talking that all out with him. And, um, at the time he was getting prepared to launch the Penguin, um, magic podcast, which now is out. And so he has a lot of episodes that I'm excited about checking out. And so it's been really great to, like, continue that friendship and talk podcasts. And so this uh, interview, we get to hear a lot about his life. Um, Before he was pursuing magic, uh, he was uh, pursuing being a stand-up comedian. So we get to hear a lot about that and just, like, his life growing up and um, also about his magic career. So let's go ahead and check out that interview. This is Chelsea Nicole, and you're listening to The Slighted Show. This is a podcast where I interview magicians and talk about their lives, their interests, and sometimes a little bit about magic. Where are you originally from? Uh, I'm originally from Wausau, Wisconsin. Uh, I was, I've sort of lived all over. My father was a salesman when I was a kid. So he, like, he moved around from job to job uh, just because he kept getting sort of moving up in the corporate world. And uh, so we started in Wausau. We moved to Indiana when I was very young, spent okay. my formative years in Tennessee. And uh, and that's kind of where I, I, I think I spent most of my life, really, because it was like elementary school to when I was like 18, 19 oh, okay. in, in Tennessee. Yeah. So born in Wausau, but I think you would say that I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. I've not been to Knoxville. I've been to like Chattanooga and somewhere in Nashville, but I've never been to Knoxville. Nashville. Yeah, what's, so what's... Chattanooga has the aquarium. Okay. Nashville has the hot chicken and the music. And yes. Knoxville had the World's Fair in 1989, I think it was. Someone would have to fact check that. But we have the, the Sun Sphere is our big landmark. So it's like a big golden ball on a stick. And then there's a Simpsons episode where they implied that it was where Dolly Parton kept all of her wigs. <laughs> nice. And Knoxville's a big city too, right? I mean, that's like you had big city, right? I mean... Yeah, it's not a small I mean, town, it's, at least. no, no, it's definitely not small okay. town. Like it's it's a larger city. It's one of the three main cities in in, in Tennessee. Right. So like if you like, I live in Ohio, and if you think of like 
Columbus is our big city, and then Cincinnati and Cleveland as the two smaller cities, but still arguably large. Mm -hmm. uh, then like Nashville would have been like the Columbus of Tennessee, okay. and Chattanooga and Knoxville would have been like the Cleveland and Cincinnati. Gotcha. Cool. And what was your dad selling growing up? Uh, plastic. Really? Uh, he sold plastic extrusions. That was his big thing when he was. Uh, he, he was uh, managing plants and selling plastic extrusions. So extrusion is a uh, continuous process. So when most people think of plastics, they think of injection molding, where like two, ca two metal plates with cavities come together, they force the plastic inside, it comes apart when it's cool, and then you go on. Plastic is more like, um, it's a continuous process. So it's a metal plate with a hole in it. That hole is like a specific shape and you push molten plastic through it and then cool it as it comes out the other end. Okay. So the way to think of it is like a Play-Doh machine okay. or like mm -hmm. how they would make a straw. Uh, so, a, because a straw is a circle that is like a continuous tube of plastic, uh, but he made like window lineals, parts for like windows and door manufacturers, auto parts, uh, all kinds of things. There's a lot of things that you can think of. Like, um, I happen to know that uh, like computer bezels, mm -hmm. like the outside of a computer that surrounds it, is uh, mo in most monitors is uh, an extrusion because it's a continuous thing. But they can cut it in interesting ways and then assemble it so that it seems like it's a smaller plastic part. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So basically, mm -hmm. all I heard is that your dad was a part of killing the environment. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. And I was too, because I worked for a plastic manufacturer. So I'm totally like a part of the problem. Pulling oil out of the ground, turning it into something that the earth can't biodegrade. Yep, that's uh, that's my legacy. Did you wait? Did you work for your dad then at some point? Or? Uh, yeah, when I was in my uh, mid 20s, early oh, okay. 30s, okay. I worked for my father. Gotcha. Uh, for a brief time before he sold the company to another uh, to another group, gotcha. but that was like way later on. I sort of that was like after I left Los Angeles. Okay, so now high school, you're growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Um, what what were you like? What were you into like in high school? What were your like favorite thing to do when you weren't doing school? Uh, juggling improv comedy and uh, like nerdy games. You know, nice. like I was into like uh, I was into Dungeons and Dragons and. Deadlands, which is just Dungeons and Dragons, but instead it's like cowboys and like spaghetti western horror, you know, Magic the Gathering, because I was, you know, because I was a kid, I was a middle school and high schooler in like that age when Magic sort of took the world by storm, and then I played a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, war games, like Warhammer, Warhammer 40k, sort of like, you know, do-it-yourself chess with a thousand-page rulebook, uh, nice. but the performing aspect got me pretty quick uh, with juggling. I started juggling in middle school, started doing it professionally pretty quick and before I was out of high school I was working for the comedy barn which is a vaudeville variety theater in Knox or Pigeon Forge Tennessee which is about an hour outside of Knoxville uh, and I was started juggling there but uh, so but juggling was a big part of my life from like sort of like middle school all the way through high school and then getting into on the improv team and being involved in acting uh, happened pretty quickly in high school as well that's so cool so I don't I feel like you're the first person I've heard say like professional juggling. So does that mean like there were times like at the comedy club, like you would only juggle, like you weren't doing stand up, like juggling was, does that make sense? Like, is that what? Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's, I think a lot of jugglers tend to be comedy jugglers uh, just because with juggling, there's sort of two routes you can go, which is like high technical ability or uh, comedy. Okay. And I, you know, I thought I was high technical ability, but compared to some of the best, you know, the best people working, um, I was definitely not. Uh, the best jugglers tend to be Russian for some reason, 
mm-hmm. probably because of like Russian juggling schools and uh, and sort of the way that the the Soviet Union sort of you know helped different arts along and different sports along and things mm-hmm. like that. Very similar to the way uh, uh, China and Japan sort of help you know groom you know uh, athletes and mm-hmm. uh, and magicians and, and jugglers from a, from a young age. Uh, I was mentored by Scott and Joan Houghton, who call themselves Jesse and James. Now they go by Mutts Gun Nuts. <laughs> but at the time in middle school, they're a, they're a dog act now because uh, they're they're getting a little bit older and juggling is uh, a very physically demanding mm-hmm. art form. Uh, and so they were they were the juggling they were like the 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 intermission act for Lee Greenwood in. Pigeon Forge and they had a daughter and a son in my school in middle school and they came and they would like teach kids to juggle and I took to it very quickly and uh, Scott sort of took me under his wing and uh, was like you know you can make money at this here's how I do it and he showed me like the ropes of like putting together an act when I was like very young Uh, so when I was in like middle school and uh, like late middle school sort of early high school I started like like juggling at kids birthday parties like Mm -hmm. you know I had an act I would like juggle around people and like knock things out of people's mouths or uh like Real quick, do like how re- did how did you even like middle school you're already having the opportunity to be like trained by someone like professional how did that even yeah that's like a pretty big that's a, like i feel like it's so rare like at middle school you had the opportunity to be with someone that's so talented right i mean how yeah did, well so I went to uh, a middle school that was a Montessori school. Okay. It was uh, it was a Montessori school in, in Knoxville that my mom taught at, and so the and because it's a private school, like the parents tend to be affluent, so they like they all had weird things. So there was a lot of parents who were like doctors and lawyers, and some of them were authors. Uh, this um, Ashley was was the the young woman who was in my grade, uh, and her parents happened to be. Uh, comedy juggling duo oh, who okay. cared cared deeply about their kids education and on friday afternoons we had like a period of school time that was devoted to one of the parents would come in and teach a craft to oh. the kids and so like i like there was uh, there's one woman who come in and like teach like creative writing because mm-hmm. she was like a professional mm-hmm. author i can't remember who what her name was or what book she wrote uh there was others who taught like yoga Mm-hmm. or martial arts mm-hmm. and Scott came in with his wife Joan and they taught juggling which was like which is what they did so like a lot of the kids would just like learn to juggle uh and I remember one year I think where the performing came in was that one year it was decided there would be an earth day circus whatever that is <laughs> and uh and so Scott got sort of tapped to like teach the kids like a routine he was like he, he like the kids that were a part of the juggling club for lack of a better it's like i say club there was like you know the entire middle school six through eight was 30 kids right and the mm-hmm. eighth grade was like seven kids so the juggling club was like maybe nine kids from different grades and he helped us put together uh like an act like a routine like all right you guys are going to come out you're going to do this Eric, you're going to be the ringmaster. It was for some reason it was decided I'd be the ringmaster, and they were like, "You're going to say <laughs> these jokes. You're going to do this bit." So like Scott taught me the old bit where you like you would blow up a balloon and then you would rub it against your head and then you would try and stick it to the wall and it would fall and then you would go to pick it up but then your head would get stuck to the wall. So I'm like nine, like doing this bit, like going through the motions that Scott taught me, but I don't like understand uh, like what it means or what it is. Uh, right. But he started to help me like put together an act. 
Um, and, uh, and a lot of the act ended up being more for competition uh, because when I was when I was in middle school, I was also studying martial arts. I, I studied Sangam Taekwondo, which is from the American Taekwondo Association, and uh, and I would compete at tournaments on or like on the weekends on a fairly regular basis. I went to the Junior Olympics in '93. Did not medal. Um, Junior but, uh, Olympics for yeah, it's like um, for uh, for Taekwondo Taekwondo. For martial sorry, arts. got it, got it. Right, okay, cool. Uh, so and my my and, parents and you like yeah, go ahead got to learn like in part of the way you got introduced to taekwondo was through this monastery uh, or not. i think the way i the way i got introduced to taekwondo was um i was a big fan of the teenage mutant ninja turtles oh, okay. as okay. a kid and then i was like i want to do karate like them and they were like okay well uh that place down the street teaches karate for kids okay. and that turned it turned out to be like a pretty legit like strip yeah. mall taekwondo studio well i mean if you're going to the junior uh, olympics for it that's pretty that's pretty intense I w- right i was I in mean, it for a long time yeah i mean I, I probably you know worked out at the the, stu- the taekwondo studio you know four or five nights a week uh up until i was in high school um and uh, and then it went away under aus- auspicious circumstances um there was some weird legal stuff that happened uh some awful legal stuff that happened with one of the instructors that sort of torpedoed the place. Okay. Um, and, uh, so, but, uh, but because I had been competing in martial arts for a long time, I ended up getting interested in competing and juggling. And okay. so, so a lot of the acts that Scott was helping me to put together were very much with it, with competition in mind. So okay. we were like working on technical moves and things like that. So, gotcha. uh, but he was a comedy juggler. So he was always like, well, we, can, we need to be funny because that'll make it better. And he would like teach me to do that. So, well, I didn't know that there was competitions for juggling. So I definitely learned something new, but I guess I shouldn't, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I mean, seeing, uh, competitions for magic was such a fascinating thing. Cause you know, my brother, whose also name is Eric, when he got into yeah. magic as a kid, he, he was very isolated for a really, really long time before um, he became a part of the community. And so it was cool to also be a part of magic from a, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like I'm from the, like, not like I'm not in it. I'm not a magician, yeah. but like I got to experience it a lot by helping him with his performance and then for yeah. him to get introduced to the community and see that like awesome growth and to get to see competitions was really cool. So how were you helping him in the competitions? Were you, were you like so asking him he, about, he, or were, sorry, were, he didn't what compete. were you doing? I helped him just perfect his magic so that he could perform for, for people. So, oh, okay. so he, you were like the camera, the eyes and the ears. Yeah. And... He never wanted to compete. Uh, I, I, I actually did compete once. <laughs> I'm not a magician and I could technically, I have competed in one magic, uh, close-up show. <laughs> which, which close-up show did you compete in? <laughs> it's, so funny. It's, it's a little embarrassing. Um, I competed with, um, Sebastian Mitbagi oh. at Daytona. Daytona Magic Convention. They had a close-up oh, show. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. I, I, I was, love that you did an act with Sebastian. Yeah, it was so it was so much fun and it's hilarious. But uh I was trying to convince Eric to compete. I re- like it was my first magic convention and then I found out they had a comp there and I was like Eric was like, Chelsea, I want you to come. So he'd already now been to a few. He's like, You'll like you'll like the <laughs> the community, you'll like magicians, you'll like you need to come to this convention. So like there's a there's a comp, you gotta do it and he just flipped it around on me and immediately challenged me and I went, Oh, okay. 
I just said oh, yes. So good. And he was shocked that I said yes, but yeah, we did a whole act, and I I think I did pretty swimmingly. I was I was very entertaining. That's, that's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> but anyways, um, that'll be a story for another time. It's quite funny. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to sorry to turn the oh, podcast to flip the podcast hosting. No, on no, no. You. It's totally fine. I don't mind at all. Um. So. I actually, I kind of want it random, but I want to jump back to the monastery school because I feel like yeah. that sounds like a really good experience um, just because education is like frustrating for a lot of people. But to have this experience where parents, the, you get, I feel like that having someone come and perform juggling exposed you to something and you go, oh yeah, I like that. Whereas like a lot of kids probably wouldn't learn about something until later in life that they enjoy that. I mean... So I'm curious if that was like your experience there. Um, I think, yeah, I think so. I mean, so some very close friends of mine are very adamant about putting their kids in Montessori schools. Um, My mom was a Montessori teacher. Okay. So I think that's where some of it comes from. Uh, I I think that, so Montessori is sort of, uh, it's based on sensorial education. So the idea that like you are going to use all of your senses to educate and it was designed by a woman who was uh, Maria Montessori, who was, I think she was Italian, and she was working with, like, special needs children. And so it, it was it was all designed to, like, help kids who were, uh, you know, they obviously, they didn't, I mean, it, the education system is, this form of education is very, very, is old, right, by, by a lot of standards. So they went, at the time it was created, like, they didn't have a term for autism. Mm-hmm. They didn't understand what they were looking at. Uh, and so uh, it was designed for kids who, like, had a hard time under, like, sort of, like, standard mm-hmm. sort of uh, educational processes. And I think as you get older, they have tried to sort of maintain a lot of that stuff. But the the process kind of breaks down when you get towards, like, middle school, high mm-hmm. school, just mm-hmm. because you're, it's you know, it's very hard to teach somebody, like... Uh, Arithmetic. You know, in- or- arithmetic or English and... Well, not arithmetic, but more Sorry. like English and grammar yeah. and, like, history and, like, a more sort of, like... Uh, sensorial based way I mean I think that it's probably come along a long a lot way since I was in it which was you know 20 years ago but uh, uh, it's they there was a lot of focus on like experiencing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. things and so they would there was like lots of field trips there was lots of like group work where we built like models and had to like understand things from the inside out going to museums but like experiencing these things so like uh, so did you, you know, like, it was, like it it sounds like you it sounds did you enjoy, like, that's just middle school for you? Was Montessori or high school too? Just middle school? Uh, it was it was primary through middle, primary school, through middle school. And then okay. uh, at the high school level, there are very few. Right. Uh, there are very few Montessori schools, even to this day. So I went from a, a Montessori education in eighth grade with a graduating class of uh, eight and went into a high school experience with a, uh, they had, there were 2,000 students. Wow. And my freshman class was like 800 yeah. kids. I mean, it was we had a huge freshman class, yeah. so it was it was very different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and in some ways, it was good. In some ways, it was bad. I was uh, because of the way our middle school taught. I was like much farther ahead than the other oh, middle really? school. Oh, really? That's students. good. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was like a good thing and a bad thing. Like I didn't have to work in high school until I was in like my junior year. Okay. So I kind of like forgot how to learn a little bit so when I got into like high school and like later high school and college I sort of had to like relearn how to learn because that's what Montessori is teaching you is it's 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 not just giving you like a set of facts it's like teaching you how to learn Mm -hmm. like how to go find the facts when you need them 
Um, and I'm grateful for those skills now. I think that they definitely helped out, but uh, it was very jarring, like socially going from a small group that you've been with for years to suddenly an entirely new friend group. Right, um, right. So it was, yeah. So it was, like, I think, good things and bad yes, things. Yes, okay, for sure. That makes sense. Um, random question. Something that's popped in my head when you were talking about, like, being into, like, games like Dungeons and Dragons. So yeah. I grew up really religious, so we were... I grew up with this idea... Not allowed. No, it was, like... I mean, I wasn't allowed to read Harry Potter. So, like, yeah. magic is, you know, of the devil. So I'm gonna guess not religious growing up, or maybe... I don't know. So um, what, yeah, what... Growing up, like... No, not terribly religious. Uh, my mother was Lutheran, and my father was tolerant. Okay. Uh, I think is the way <laughs> you would put it. Uh, so, uh, I, I think it was... I, you know, my father, I think, is best described as agnostic. Mm-hmm. My mother is a casual Lutheran, mm-hmm. I think, is, is the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. You know, goes to church on Christmas and Easter, okay. and uh, when there's a potluck. Okay. Um, and and, I, and that's generally like how my family took it. You know, we went to church every Sunday, but it was definitely more for like social standing mm-hmm. than it was for like worship purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got I got involved in running sound for the church when I was a kid. So like I was I was like more interested in going to church because I was able to like play with the soundboard right. than I was like you know it like it was like oh and we have a snack mid service which is you know nice and I can have wine um, which is fun. Uh, I'm an atheist now, mm-hmm. uh, but there was, there wasn't, there, religion was not really much of a factor mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Yeah. So, um, also being in Knoxville, that's technically the South, right? So. Oh yeah. Knoxville, like the city is super religious. Okay. Uh, lots of Baptists, okay. lots of like very, I remember being in high school and in science class, we got to evolution <laughs> and like evolution is a part of what you study and it was just like a constant fight at like the entire way through where the teacher is like i don't care if you believe it or not like this is you have to know this to pass the test that is mandated by the state like if you have a problem with the fact that you have to learn that evolution is a possibility you need to talk to the like you need to talk to like the state and figure that out but like if you're gonna graduate this class and get a diploma you need to understand just the bare bones of of it uh and then like some of my philosophy classes in university were also like a bit of a fight with like not necessarily students from out of state it was always like students who went to ut like coming from knoxville mm-hmm. or other areas in tennessee where they were like yeah well that's not in the bible and and the professor would just be like well we're not studying the bible here we're stu- we're studying uh uh uh, uh, epistemology and the idea of where knowledge comes from. So let's let's just continue to move on. Like get over yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, uh, so yeah. But it was very, very religious. Yes, and, right. Yeah, so that's b- big mega churches. Right, right, right. Yeah, I was going to say you're definitely being surrounded by that. And so, you know, I wasn't sure if you, you know, how how that like maybe shaped you at all. But I mean, it, it kind of seems like that that kind of existed and. Um, I think I just like learned to pass because mm-hmm. it like it my parents didn't like instill it in me and so it was they were like you need to be a good person because it's good to be a good right. person not because an invisible sky god is going to you know yell at you and do bad things to your life. Right. Um and so I, I think what often just ended up happening was because I was so attracted to the sciences when I was early uh in my education you know, I was I was originally in a college in evolutionary biology major mm-hmm. uh, at the university before I, I went off to get my degree in comedy. 
and it just living there just allowed me to like learn how to like coexist with Christians because it was just such an ever-present part of life that you just sort of like understand that they're there mm-hmm. and like this is what you need to say and these are the topics you don't bring up if you don't want to just like suddenly get into a, an argument that you just don't have the time or energy right. to be a part right. of is largely what, what it was right I, yes and I very much understand and I'm more though coming from the opposite spectrum of growing up very religious and now being outside of it and being like yikes okay that was yeah wild ride but um yeah so Okay, so high school, um, uh, you're, like, transitioning, you have, like, a, you're, you're going from, like, having, like, um, a small school to, like, a really large school, a lot of people, and while you're in high school, you're also, um, doing juggling, and you're, mm-hmm. uh, going to the improv, you said, uh, yeah. comedy, comedy improv? Com- yeah, comedy improv team. team. We did, uh, it was like, uh, it was like comedy sports, sort of like whose line is it anyway, but in a, com- in a vaguely competitive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that it's your the... high school or is that, uh, a comedy it's club? High... Okay. No, that's the high school. Okay. Like that's a part of the theater department. Okay. The, the Farragut high school. I don't know if they still have this. I believe they do. Uh, but Farragut high school where I went to high school at had a, a, pretty well-known improv team um and we had a show once a month that always sold out uh and they they were always rotating in uh fresh kids who who showed an affinity for it and who were interested you know they rehearsed once a week uh actually we rehearsed once a week once i got onto the team Mm -hmm. and uh it was i mean it was a good time i was involved with the team when i when i was in in my junior year i was i was their opening act okay uh, they had me as an opening act, and so I would do juggling and stand-up comedy and weird things like that, uh, and then they would do the show. And then in my senior year, I, I was able to finally audition and get on the team. I think I'd been okay. an alternate for a little bit in my junior year, and I was a part of some other ancillary stuff. But, uh, yeah, it was, like, it was, like, pretty... It was uh, Well, it was pretty prestigious okay. in, in that school. It was, it was weird, because, like, the rest of the theater kids were like, oh, you're a bunch of nerds who do theater, and, like, you do, you know, Shakespeare, and you're, you're a bunch of nerds. But, like, even the football team thought the improv kids were cool. Really? Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, but I think it was because, like, the show sold out. The show was good. Yeah. The show was funny. Um, you know, there's a number of kids who went on from the school to go study at, like, Second City and other places. I don't think, I don't know of anyone who's, like, come out of that program that was, like, well-known. But uh, it, it definitely, like, it had, it was, like, a known thing mm-hmm. in Knoxville, like, that the Farragut High School Improv Show was, like, a ticket well worth going to. Okay. Yeah. That's really cool. So, before you, so, you got that your senior year, freshman, mm-hmm. uh, sophomore, junior year, did you, like, were you doing, like, plays or anything like that, or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I did, a, I did a couple of plays. I was in the, I was in the theater program, so I, uh, did, I did both plays. I was in one musical that I, like I didn't want to be a part of the musical, but the musical theater teacher like had typecast me for the the uncle who had just gotten out of prison in Smoke on the Mountain, and like and I'm like I don't sing. I've never had an interest in singing. I I don't think I'm good at it. And uh, she like she was like she was pushing me to audition, and so I did. And then I was like my audition went poorly, and then I saw myself in the callback sheets, and I did the callback, and I was like that didn't go well again. And then. Uh, there were additional people cast so that like so that a uh, uh, 
someone could sing bass over me to like cover where I was weak. It was really weird. I only had to like learn how to effectively sing one solo. Okay. Uh, but I was also heavily involved in uh, what they called forensics, uh, which is competitive acting. Okay. Uh, so there was like, you, there were solos, duos, duets. You could do after dinner speaking, which was, you know, you have to uh, deliver a, an original, um, humorous, uh, but persuasive speech. Uh, so I would, I wrote, I wrote a speech on trying to convince people why rodents were trying to take over the world. Uh, it was, and what uh, is and I, this for? Is this your high school doing this or is this someone else? For high, it's, it's for high, for high school. school. There's a, it's a, it's a, like a nationwide thing at the high school level. It, it, it's often called speech and debate. Okay. Okay. And mo- most high schools only have the speech and debate portion. There's a third portion of it, which is acting focused. That's so cool. Uh, and so we, we had our debate team was separate from the acting focus side of it. Forensics is when it's called forensics, it, it it encompasses the acting. Okay, is my understanding of it. And my high school had that, so I did a lot of that. So I competed in uh, duo and duet, um, which are duet is like you do a scene with a partner. Mm-hmm. Duo is when you do a scene with a partner, but you can work from a book. But it's also there's weird rules because you're 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 in place, you're side by side, and you're miming while you're supposed to be referring to the book but when you're performing like if you were to like if i was to grab your collar in a scene i would reach out and grab your collar and then your partner who's standing right next to you has to like (sighs) mime their collar getting grabbed it's very very strange there was like there was these weird like parameters around stuff and then i also competed in prose which is where you do a a dramatic reading from a piece of literature and uh, i chose the beginner's guide to hamsters (laughs) so i did i did this very dramatic reading of of the introduction to the beginner's guide to hamsters, which was very strange. Um, and then, uh, and then I would fill in occasionally on some other, some other stuff like, uh, extemporaneous speaking. So they would have like, you'd walk into the room, you'd be given a topic and then you'd have five minutes to give a speech, a persuasive speech about that topic. So there's a few different things that we did. Um, so I was, so, but freshman and sophomore, junior and senior year, I did that. Like that was a, a, a large part of my involvement okay. in the acting. So I just, cause the name forensics is a little misleading. I have definitely a different thought process completely. You're like, Oh, on the side, I was a crime investigator. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't know that forensics was like crime investigation until I got into college. And so when people were like, Oh, have you seen CSI? And I was like, no, what's that? And they're like, Oh, it's, um, it's a show about forensics in Las Vegas. And the first time I watched the show i was like this isn't about competitive <laughs> acting at all <laughs> that's really funny so uh are you into magic at this point or um very tangentially okay. i had had a magic kit when i was a kid um off and on and then there was i think i was like eight or nine when my dad took me on a business trip and we went to a magic shop in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember the name of the magic shop, but it's definitely part of the chain that David Williamson worked okay. at. Because I, I heard an interview with David Williamson where he describes this magic shop and I can see it perfectly in my mind's eye with like dark wood paneling and backlit glass. Uh, and then even despite the fact that it like looks really classy, mm-hmm. like really all they sold was like cups and balls, Svengali decks, mental photographies, and Rocky raccoons. Okay. Like that was that was it. They probably had some other stuff where you could like buy some Houdini's handcuffs or whatever. Uh, but uh, it wasn't a Houdini's, but it was like definitely like in that vein. Um, I went back to try and find it uh, years later, and it had been closed down in Atlanta. It was a Starbucks now. Oh, okay. Um, 
but uh, but yeah, so I had cups and balls. So I've been doing cups and balls for a long time. Like my first trick, I think, was cups and balls. And my granddad had taught me a couple of like basic card tricks. He was not a magician. He just there was a magician at one of the communities that he lived in when he was after he was retired, mm-hmm. who had taught him a couple of things to quote show the ladies at the bridge. <laughs> um, uh, but I didn't really get into magic until uh, the end of high school. Um, well, that's so. Also, slightly not true. I had a juggling act where I had rings that changed color. Okay. So I was like juggling the rings and they would change from black to white. So I had this sort of like strange routine where I would like talk about my day. And as my day got better, the rings would change to white. And as it got worse, it would change to black. Um, and the, like the method was nothing impressive. You're mm-hmm. just like grabbing the ring from a different and like flipping it around. But because there's things in the air, it's like misdirection. So you don't even right. notice that. So it is like a magical effect, but you're not quite sure how it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, well, when I was in high school, when I started working at the comedy barn as a juggler there, the owner of the place, a guy named Jim Hedrick, said, you're a juggler, you probably know magic. Uh, go sell magic tricks in our magic shop. <laughs> and uh, they they literally, they sent me down, and I, the only trick I knew really was cups and balls. I, I barely knew what a Svengali deck was. And uh, they, there, was a magi- there was a ventriloquist behind the counter who was also a magician named Stephen Knowles. Um, and I think he's still working in Pigeon Forge. But he taught me... Uh, the pitch routine for Svengali deck, Invisible deck, Mental Photography, Ball Vase, the Fantastic, the Hot Rod, like the, the cheap version of the Hot Rod, and uh, and the, the pitch version of Cups and Balls. And I sold those in a magic kit for three years. So that's like that was, a that, job. Yeah. For, that's like a, I mean, yeah. so you're, because you're kind of working at the this improv comedy shop and they also happen to have a magic shop and they just kind of stuck you in there like so you're getting paid to do this yeah right? so yeah so i was hired to be a juggler in the show okay and uh so i like my job was literally in the show my job was literally to like run out in the first 30 seconds of the show while the band sings hail hail the gang's all here at the funniest show in town and then my partner and i would juggle for like 40 seconds so we would like do a quick routine and then we would break out the fire, we would eat the fire, we would pass the fire, uh, and then that was it. And then we'd be like, goodbye. And then we'd go off stage, we'd ditch our gear, and then we would help the dog act. There was a trained dog act that was immediately after us. And so we would um, uh, like we would move the benches and like catch the hoops and like drag the carpet off. And uh, and that was like that was largely what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before the show, after the show, and during intermission we would work, uh, the, the various acts would also work in the, uh, the concession stand or the souvenir booth, mostly the souvenir booths, because the main, like one of the main sources of income was, uh, we would sell videotapes. So the big hook to the show was that we would tape every show live and you would be on it. Well, you know, the show was just an effort to get as many people in the audience onto the stage as possible. So there was a dude who did, like, musical hats with a hillbilly theme, and that required, like, nine people. <laughs> there was another guy who um, would do, uh, like, a chair thing. He would do, like, uh, his name's Eric Lambert, actually. He did this on cruise ships for years, but it was the... He would get three guys up, and he would hit them on the head with foam bats, and every time he hit them on the head, their mouth would open. And it was just a comedy bit, like, finding out who they are, and then he would, like, play music, and it was the Bohemian Rhapsody, the, I see a silhouette of a man. And then he would just, like, do that. Like, he would, like, play the human xylophone, so they would look like they're singing, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody. But again, it's like getting three dudes up on stage. Uh, 
the dog act would get all the kids up on stage because the dog would jump over the kids. Oh my God. So then you like, so, and then we had cameras facing at the audience. So technically you were on every videotape that, that came out, uh, came out of there. And so for 20 bucks, you'd buy this tape. Well, it's a lot easier to spend 20 bucks on something, a videotape of a show, if you're just getting sold that videotape from the person who was just on stage. Right. So okay, they would that like, makes sense. Not, and yeah, you're so more they wouldn't likely know. to buy it because you're you're in it, like you're in, right? Yeah. It's total sales job. So, uh, yeah. so I sort of like really became like a magician and started like doing magic, like the moment I also became like a professional pitch shop magician. It was like I was like my on the job right. training was like ten minutes. They were like, here's how mental photography works. Here's how Svengali works. Here's how cups and balls work. All right, move as many of them as you can because your bonus is directly tied to that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So that's kind of how you got the start with magic, and then did it turn into something, okay, I really enjoy this, or, like, did it take a while for you to, like, actually want to, like... Like, because I think there's a difference between, like, being able to do something and then being like, I want to wear this hat, like, I am a magician. Like, that's a choice people make. Like, I can do magic tricks, I can perform, I can do pretty well, but it's just, like, a choice for me. Like, I don't really wear the hat. Like, it's not part of my identity, you know? So, at what is there, like, around this time, did you start being like, oh, I really like this, this is something I want to do? Um, yeah, I think it took about a year. Mm -hmm. Because along with that, so, like, occasionally, like, we would be behind there and, like, Knowles would do something with this Bengali deck that I was like, that's not the way the routine goes. And he was just kind of screwing around to entertain himself, like a lot of pitch shop guys do, mm -hmm. where, like, you just, like, learn cool new ways to do it. Uh, and so I was like, that's not how you do it. Like, what, what did you just do? Because you can't turn, you, like, every magician knows you can't just turn over the top card in a Svengali deck because it's the, because it's the force card, mm -hmm. right? Or, uh, or, or if you turn over the top card in a Svengali deck, it's the force card. And so, like, he would, like, show the top card is not the card. And I was like, that's, but, but it is. <laughs> show me what you did. And so he just taught me a double lift. And that, like, the the card slights were sort of what I gravitated to very early mm -hmm. on. Um, and I think part of that was he taught me some stuff and then he was like, yeah, well, like if you get like, there's some like great books out there. Because um, I think I had like the Tarbell, now you see, or not Tarbell, the Bill Tar, now you see it, now you don't when I was like a, a kid. Like I'd shown some affinity because of the Cups and Balls. So my parents bought me a magic book. So I learned like some like, like basic you know, like they, they teach out a back palm a card and, and now you see it, now you don't. So I like learned that there, but I just never like applied it. When I was like, oh, I think I want to learn more of this stuff. I went to a, I went to a used bookshop on my way to work one day. And the, the only magic book they had in the place was uh, Expert Card Technique by Hugh Garden Browie. And it happened to be a first edition. Well, I didn't know it was a first edition until a long time looking at it later, but I was like, oh, this is 10 bucks. It's got card tricks in it. Sure, I'll learn that. And there was a section on Svengali decks. And I was like, oh, maybe I can learn some other tricks here that we can sell this more. Mm -hmm. uh, and it took a while for me to realize, like, oh, I'm, I'm a magician. Because I always thought of my, my primary job was, like, juggling. And, like, magic was just what we did to sell other things. Right. And the magic sort of slowly took over my interest where mm -hmm. I wasn't, like, developing new juggling tricks. I was, like, actually playing with, with magic. And, and I think it was, like, two years in, uh, they were like, well, you know, there's a magic convention here in town right and i was like what's a convention mm -hmm. so i went to the i went to the uh the winter carnival of magic was was what i went to in the smoky mountains it used to be in gatlinburg now it's in pigeon forge and uh it's uh 
I did my first magic competition because I got real into spoon bending and did it there. So I met with magicians for the first time. It was the first time I went into a dealer's room and I was like, what do you mean there's places other than the one shitty magic shop in town? Like, this is amazing. Uh, so, uh, it, like, I think it was about two years in where I was like, I think magic's what I want to do more of. Like, this is, like, yeah, juggling is fine. It's a job. But, like, juggling's a job. Magic is fun. Um, and I, and, uh, and I don't think I really started to, like, develop my own tricks until like I left the comedy barn because then I was like, Oh, I, I don't, I don't think I can juggle anymore. I think like magic's what I want to do. I think it was, I think it took like leaving the comedy barn, uh, to, to move to Toronto to go to school and study comedy where I was up there where I was like doing magic tricks for people mm -hmm. and I, that like really juggling got left behind. Like I didn't bring any of my juggling props to Toronto. It was just like, you know, I've only got so much space in my dorm room, so I, I'll, I'll. I remember those are you big and bulky. Uh, talking to me last time we talked about going to Toronto. Um, timeline was: Did you move to Toronto like right after graduating high school, or was it was there a period of time where you, like, what's no okay? Uh, the, yeah. So the timeline there is: I graduate high school, I start working at the Comedy Barn, I start going to the University of Tennessee. Okay. Uh, so I, I'm at the university. That's the yeah, same. Sorry, is that the same city you were growing up in, or is that a different city? Yeah. So Knoxville. So Knoxville is where I lived, and the University of Tennessee was based in Knoxville. Okay, cool. I was working in Pigeon Forge, which is a, um, uh, which is a small mountain town. It's kind of like Branson, or like if Las Vegas was run by hillbillies. I think I've it's heard where all the theaters of Pigeon Forge because I'm pretty sure it's rock climbing the area. Does that sound right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah you're absolutely it's right. It's huge. I think it's. I've not been yeah. there, but I've heard so much about the climbing in Pigeon Forge. I'm like, I know, I know this name, but only for climbing. I don't know yeah. anything else besides that. There's yeah, because it's in the Smoky Mountains. Yes. So there's. Okay. There, I think there's lots of bouldering out okay. there. Is 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 what it's it is. A, um, so uh, so you're you right after sorry high school you went to University of Tennessee and you're kind of like yes. continuing this job that you started. Yeah. In high school, so I'm like, like the, the, with yeah. the juggling and like magic and. There like, was like a brief. So I joined the comedy barn the senior, like the Christmas break of my senior year, mm -hmm. which was like kind of insane that my parents let me do it because I sort of like I effectively quit my job at this pet shop <laughs> to take a job that was an hour away from home uh, that paid yeah. like significantly more, but also like I didn't get home until one in the morning wow. every night. And you were in, still in high school at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's cool that they, it's, you know, were supportive of that. Yeah, yeah, they were like cool with it for some reason. Um, uh, I, I think, I think, uh, I think they also like had like recently gotten divorced and were like, Eric's an adult; he can do whatever he yeah. wants. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so I was doing that, but I, I went to the University of Tennessee to study ecology and evolutionary biology because up to that point, my main focus in life was reptiles because my date, my job was at this pet store mm -hmm. where we bred and sold and cared for uh exotic reptiles really so i was like in the pet trade yeah and so i wanted to go to school to study herpetology i wanted to study reptiles for the rest of my life and uh and then sorry i'm gesturing Matt, my cat wants to step on my laptop so i'm like no 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 no, no. totally understand <laughs> my dog is probably gonna come screaming in here at any point like, father what are you doing i'm not in your lap uh but yeah so i i like two years in i changed majors to psychology and with a minor in philosophy, and that was when I found out about uh, Humber College. And in my third year, I found out about Humber College, which is uh, uh, which is where I, I went to go get a degree in comedy writing and performance. 
and I got accepted. I actually like I was in like a deep depression and like kind of drunk when I applied mm. and I got in and uh and it was like, oh my like I got this like letter that was like I don't really remember like doing the full like I remember like doing the application process but not like really doing right, it. Right, right. Um uh so I, I wasn't like blackout drunk. I was just like a little buzzed. And uh uh so I I got in sort of on a whim and then my parents were like, Yeah, uh uh totally totally go. Um So in and, did uh, you um graduate from University of Tennessee first and then go to Toronto or did you like kind of stop like or No, I just I just transferred up there. Oh. Uh I so I just like I never completed the degree in ecology. I never de- completed the degree in okay, psychology. Okay. Uh I did end up using those things though. Um, so like, cause like when I was studying comedy at, at university, they made us do humanities course and they like, they were like, do you want to study history or psychology? And I was like, I'll study psychology. And they like maybe take a psychology 101 course. But by that time I've been completing 300 level courses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was just like, so that w- I feel like that's part of the reason I graduated with such a high like grade point average. Mm-hmm. Like I graduated with like 113% grade average or something up there. Cause they, they don't go by GPA. It was like a percentages. Oh, okay. And I had, and so I got the president's letter because it was so high. And they were like, "How can a comedy student get so high uh, in the in the grade point average?" And it was like, "Well, because I was like, ter- I was like doing extra credit in the psychology class because I'd already done it three years prior, right, right. two years prior." Um, so it was all that, but that like, yeah, but going up to Toronto like helped me leave juggling and like, not really focus on magic because I was up there focusing on stand up comedy, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. like. Magic was a way that I like f- met other people where they were like, um, like I hung out at the browser's den, met a lot of magicians that way. It made me unique in class that I could do magic. Um, uh, so there was like, people were always interested in that. Uh, a lot of the guys that I hung out with were like, do a card trick. And I would be like, oh, okay. And I would do card tricks. And so that like sort of further cemented my love of like card magic. Cause it was just like, I could do weird stuff with cards and people seemed to like it. Um, and occasionally they would let me play in poker games, and uh, I would I would take a couple of the poker like I learned to move on a poker table in college. Uh, it wasn't like it wasn't the best circumstances. It probably wasn't the best moves, and you know I'm sure a lot of the people who were like I was like at the table were like drunk and high, and like I was taking advantage of them for no good reason. <laughs> but uh, it was it was like it was fun and exciting, but also like scary, and I don't ever want to do it again. Like I do not envy people who do that for a living. Uh, but I like. I moved on a couple of college poker tables to like, I guess, satisfy my own sort of hubris, I guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah. So, so. what, um, I know we've talked in the past about, um, sort of like your comedy mm-hmm. career. How did, and I know right now that you work for Penguin Magic. So I know like you're yeah. primarily like working in the field as a magician. So like, what, what's the story there? Like, wh- like, when did you like start switching over to um like magic full time i guess yeah um so i think kind of what happened was i was very focused on stand up in college cuz that's what i was there to do um i i i wanted to become a stand up comedian like when i was in college like i was at the height of the bush administration and lewis black was my hero mm. i thought i was going to be the next lewis black and you know what no one wants to hear the political ideals of a 22 year old <laughs> Uh, but it, um, 
magic was always kind of there mm-hmm. as a crutch because I, I remember having a really bad stand-up night when I was in like high school uh, and so I was like I was sneaking it so we got like the one of the biggest influences on my life uh, was when I was in high school we got cable and uh, it was back when Comedy Central was doing Comedy Central presents like mm-hmm. new specials every week so I saw like early Patton Oswalt and like nice. early Lewis Black and early David Tell all on Comedy Central Presents and I was like that I want to do that they don't have to carry any props everyone loves them they're interesting so in high school I like found out about an open mic that was at an O'Charlie's and I would sneak into it so like you couldn't st- you could be in the restaurant before nine if you were under 18 or under 21 after nine, you weren't allowed in if you were under 21, but if you were in there and you had an open check, they would let you stay. Nice. So I'd have to like go in, order a basket of mozzarella sticks and then wait until like 1030 to do stand up, And then like, you know, I'm like 16 doing stand up in front of like drunk college kids, which was like weird. Uh, Cause I wanted to do that so bad. That's so impressive. So- I mean, being like, I-, I am very impressed by magicians for sure. But I have to say I'm even more impressed by stand-up comedians because you don't have... I mean, it's literally you on stage. That's it. You don't... Like, so... Yeah, there's no net. There's no... So I'm so curious, like, what was... What do you think was, like, in you that, like, pushed you to do that? I'm so fascinated by it. Um, But, like, that sort of desire to get up and do stand-up comedy. Like, do you have anything that... I don't know. Like, especially in high school. I mean, you did it in high school, too. Like, in a bar... Where you weren't technically allowed to be there. Yeah, um, I don't know. I can't remember what the what the impetus was, but it was it was definitely like it was definitely something about like oh, like I wanted to be the smart kid because mm-hmm. I like I like I valued like you know when you play Dungeons and Dragons like I often played like the wizard cuz I valued intelligence mm-hmm. really highly and it seemed to me like these were the smartest people in the room and so <laughs> I wanted to hang out with those people cuz I wanted to be one of the smart people in the room i you know my my father is extremely intelligent uh my mother is very intelligent uh i went to private schools where it was like everyone was like supposed to be like gifted and special because we were in a private mm-hmm. school and our parents were paying so much money so i like always like I've always been told that intelligence is a valuable trait, and I've always valued it as an intelligent mm-hmm. as, as a as a trait. And and it seemed to me that these were the the smartest people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they were smarter than a lot of the other things because they could see what was wrong with mm-hmm. the world. They could see who was dumb. Um, whether or not that is true, having now having like lived in that world and met comedians, <laughs> like I I know that that is equivocally not true. Uh, but it just seemed like that was that was the case. Um, were you, and it was just cool. Was that part of your personality at all? Were you kind of known like in like high school as like being the funny person, like the class clown or the like, uh, you know? Um, I think that in in the context of some of the performing stuff, yeah, uh, because I probably had a, a very unearned self confidence about it. Um, I mean, competition has always been in the back of my life, and so like always like going to competitions and doing well sort of I felt like gave me some sort of clout mm-hmm. early on mm-hmm. um you know like I came into the theater program having like done you know like professional like shows like you know I like I had like a resume which was like a weird thing to like the other kids um it was just that like Scott had helped me develop mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, I wish you need like a ridiculous amount of confidence to get 
on stage yeah, to do stand up comedy anyways. It, even if it's yeah. false confidence, you gotta you have to have it. You totally have to Yeah, I, I think that's you it. You have and to I think just, like, you're funny was... or else you're not gonna get on stage. You really do, I think. Um Yeah. And I I like to think that I'm funny, <laughs> uh, whether or not I actually am. But uh yeah, it's always like stand up was always something I wanted to do. It it's it's something that I still want to do. If I could give if I could like give away everything I've earned in magic to have like a successful career in comedy, I totally would. Mm-hmm. It's just it's so much more fun. Do you um, do you do anything right now, um, on the side? Like do you ever go to like comedy clubs or anything like that still from time to time? Uh, not right obviously well, not, not right, right now, now. Not right now. We're, we're in the middle of a pandemic um Pre- but i still do comedy shows pre-pandemic yeah okay yeah so uh i was i mean up until a few years ago i was a part of a sketch comedy group called monday night live uh we did uh sketch comedy uh the first monday of the month in columbus ohio mm-hmm. it was sort of like a like a lo-fi saturday night live okay it was written like it was written it had production value you know we had like uh, we rigged up teleprompters over the audience so we like could change the scripts like up to the day of and still be able to do everything. Wow, nice. Um, like that was that was really neat. Uh, I still I still have my foot in the comedy world. Um, some people that I play a lot of video games with are comedians, and they uh, they will invite me on their shows. I've done most of the virtual shows that I've done since the pandemic started have all been comedy shows. Oh really? Uh, where okay, I would cool. Be, yeah, like I, I made a very specific choice to like not do virtual magic. I did a couple okay. of virtual magic shows at the beginning of this, but um, like there's a uh, my buddy uh, on he's on Twitch. He's uh, uh, Spizlation, S P I Z Z A L A T I O N. But he's got a really great show called Joke Roast Toast, where you you are paired up against another comedian from somewhere else in the country. And you each have to t- have a minute to do a joke, a minute to roast them, and then a minute to toast them. And that's a—it's a really great show. That's, that's awesome. a lot of fun. Um, I, I would—I would argue that the Dungeons and Dragons stream that I do with uh, Carissa Hendricks and Katie Osborne is definitely got a comedy bent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've done like more of these like storytelling uh, comedy shows on, that are being hosted on Twitch and Facebook Live and places like that. Uh, bef- pre-pandemic, I was definitely doing like I was. I was actively working in comedy festivals. Okay. I've done, I've done the uh, the Whiskey Bear Comedy Festival every year since um, since its inception, and uh, uh, I would do comedy on some of it, and I would do magic on other parts of it. Uh, I would do, uh, I've done, I've done a bunch of comedy festivals. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was, I think this is after you and I did the the interview the first time at Magic Live. Mm-hmm. I was booked at the. Uh, uh, I was booked at the at. Oh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Mark D'Souza's convention, okay. in um, in Jersey. The. Uh, uh, I, I I feel so bad. I'm blanking on it. Um, uh, it's the. North uh, Northeastern collection. Oh God, I can't remember some of that stuff. I can't remember the name of it. But it's the it's the convention that Mark D'Souza puts on, which I had a blast at. Uh, but he actually asked me to do stand up um, at the conve- at a magic nice. convention. So I've so I've now done mag- stand up at a magic. So I did like I wish I could have I been part there for that. that. That sounds so awesome because I love magic conventions. But to see stand up comedy at a magic, I also want to hear your stand up comedy. So I need to. When I you're... have an album. Okay. I'll I'll send you the album. I'll send awesome. you a download of the album. That'd be so great. Uh, it's Nerd is the new. It's the album is Nerd is the new black. It is on iTunes. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it, I think it's 10 bucks, but I'll, I'll send you a copy oh, because you're interviewing in, me. Insider. Uh, 
Insider tale. There's a, there is a joke about being a magician on there. Um, it's, a, it's a joke. That's a sto- it's a story. It's an extended story that is true with very little embellishment of accidentally walking into a strip club thinking it was a magic shop. <laughs> that's uh, great. Thanks, everyone, for listening to The Slighted Show. Music was brought to you by Luca Sommerfeld, a longtime listener. Thank you again, Luca, for your contribution to the podcast. That's all, folks. We'll see you next week. 